Before this virus hit home and we were indeed restricted to our homes, we were working through a series called The Message of the Cross. And God willing, we will return to that series soon. Easter is a coming and I want that series to lead us to Easter. But I've had a passage on my heart this past week, a passage from Job 37. And I've been quite torn about this because I had been planning a series, a mini-series in Job later this year, and I still hope to have that mini-series, but I believe this passage is for us now in this time of isolation, this time of stopping, this time of worry about the unknown. So we'll be in Job chapter 37 today. And as we get into it, I encourage you to grab a Bible and please follow along. We'll be in Job chapter 37 and verse 5. Now, obviously, we are coming into the book of Job quite late, and I do need to set the scene. Uh, Job, if you don't know the story, has had several terrible events to him. He has lost his wealth, basically all of it. He has lost his children, yes, all of them. And to top it all off, he has lost his health, very nearly all of it. He just has his life. And so he has lost his wealth, his children, his health. This is his situation, and it is terrible. But we, as the readers of the story of Job, know that God has allowed these things to happen. God has allowed them, but the devil has done all of them. And I think this is important for us to reflect on. Satan only ever acts within God's bounds. The suffering that Job is experiencing is terrible, but it is also limited. God is limiting it. And likewise, the suffering we see around at the world at this time is terrible, and it is. It is right to call it that. But let us be assured that God is limiting it as well. And it is into this terrible situation of loss that three of Job's friends come to comfort him. But in fact, they end up doing the exact opposite. As they try and explain what has happened to them, they actually end up tormenting him and embittering him. And Job grows increasingly angry with them and increasingly bitter towards God. And then right towards the end of the book, a fourth friend appears. A surprise friend speaks up, and this is Elihu. And I have a painting here that someone has drawn of this situation. Now Job in this painting is the one sitting under the tent in his sorrow and grief. The three friends are sitting on the ground. Uh, they have exhausted themselves with their help, such as it was, and Elihu is standing and speaking in this painting. And as a fun fact, Robin and I had considered calling our son Elias Elihu. And we had done that because Elihu is different from the other three friends. His argument, his reasoning, his call to Job is different from the others. And this, this is where we pick up the story today in Job chapter 37. Let me read it to you. Verse 5. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. 
He says to the snow, fall to the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour, so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover, they remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber, the cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised, those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes, when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies, hard as a mirror of cast bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies, after the wind has swept them clean. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress. Therefore people revere him. For does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? This is God's word to us. So what does this passage, what do Job and Elihu have to do with us as we are sitting at home? Well, there is a call here to know God for who he truly is. A call here that when we know him as he truly is, we will revere him and in fact be able to rest in him. And this is my prayer for us in this season. That as many of us stop what we usually do, and many of us have concerns, concerns about what is going on, concerns about the future, that we will in fact reflect, we will listen, really listen to God's work that we might truly know him and revere him for who he is, and then rest, rest in him, and have peace during this time. Now, it's one thing for me to make that statement, but it's another thing to understand it, and for it to get into our hearts and minds, and for us to live it. And that is why God has given us the story of Job, so we can enter into his story, and grasp it for ourselves, and live it out. And in Job 37, Elihu calls Job to really consider God's work, to really look at them and understand them rightly. And Elihu sees God speaking through creation. God speaks in the lightning and the thunder. He talks in the snow and the rain. All of these forces obey God's direction, and they tell us something of God. They speak to us. And I want to focus on verses 6 and 7. Here Elihu tells Job and us that God commands the snow and the rain to fall. And the reason he does this, we're told in verse 7, 
is so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. Do you hear that? Elihu is pointing out to Job and to us that God wants people to know him. This is his main goal. He wants people to comprehend him, to recognize him. But to do this, he has to get their attention. He has to stop their work. And so he will send the snow and rain. He has to stop their busyness. And doesn't this sound familiar? Doesn't this sound like right where we are? And there's a real symmetry to these verses. God has to stop our work that we might recognize his work and that we might know him. Elihu here is saying that God is like a father who has to stop his child who is a builder from building so that they will recognize who the great architect and true builder of everything is. Or another example would be that God has to stop his child who is a gardener so that they will recognize the one who sends the rains and causes all things to grow, that they would recognize him, the original gardener. But there is more to it than this. God uses the same thing for different purposes. In verse 13, Elihu tells us that God brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. The clouds are the same tool, but they might have very different purposes in God's hands. And how many of us have wondered, as we hear of it raining on someone's wedding day, whether there was a farmer down the road praying for rain. And there is some value to that question, because it asks what God might be doing. It asks... It suggests to us that there might be a bigger picture and God might have more going on than we can see. As it happens, we we need some rain here in central Hawke's Bay and have just been blessed with some. And I'm sure there are some happy farmers, but I imagine at this time of being trapped at home, there might be a few parents feeling a little punished with their children. But the question is, can we discern what God is teaching us? Can we discern what God is doing in us and in other people? Because he is likely doing many things all at once. He might be discipling on one hand and blessing on another. And in verses 14 to 22, Elihu gives Job a list of things that Job Job doesn't understand about God. Does Job understand how God controls the clouds or spreads out the sky or has directed the sun? Well, no, he doesn't. And we might have more of an answer than Job with our scientific developments, but even now we are limited. The more we understand of the working of the cosmos, the more we realize how much more there is and how much more is beyond our control as well. Yes, we might know about atoms. But that doesn't mean we're able to control them too much better. Just because we know how large and hot the sun is does not mean we know how God controls it. If anything, it might mean we have a better appreciation of the greatness of God's power. And this leads to Elihu's conclusion in verses 23 and 24 where he says, 
Verse 23, the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him. For does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? Elihu's final words to Job are a call to trust God, to revere him as bigger and better than Job. To let God be God in controlling the snow and the rain, the things Job doesn't understand, but to trust God in his righteousness and goodness, the things Job can understand. Elihu here is calling Job and calling us to hold on to what we do know for certain about God, that he is good and always, always does justice, even when we can't see or understand his working. Elihu is calling Job to humble himself before God and holding on to what he knows for sure about God and to sit with wonder and trust with the things that he does not understand. And Elihu is right. Holding on to those things, the things we know for certain and the wonder at God's majesty and trusting him with the things that we don't understand, that is the place of truly knowing God. It is the place of resting in his steadfast love, even when we are in a storm. It is the place of having peace, even when there is a war going on outside our house, or we have cancer inside us. It is the place we are called to as well. And thankfully it is the place Job ends up at. Because after Elihu finishes speaking, God turns up. He turns up in a whirlwind, we're told. He appears before Job. And God builds on Elihu's case for the next four chapters. God questions Job. In a sense, God almost shows off to Job, but he's calling Job out. Saying, Job, can you do any of the things I can do? Job, can you control the weather? Job, can you control the wild animals? Job, can you do even just one of the things I can do? And after four chapters of this, when confronted again and again with God's greatness, that Job recognizes he truly grasps who God is. And he says in the final chapter, verses 2 to 6, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, Job never knew exactly why he suffered. But he'd known from the start it wasn't because he was sinful, and he was right. God vindicated him in that regard. But Job did have to have something to learn of God, something that he'd gotten wrong. And thankfully, learn it he did and learn it well 
But will we? Will we learn from Job? Will we learn what he learned of God? And I've got three points I want to leave us with today. And I'm going to put them in uh, least important, if I can say that, to most important. They're all important, but the final point is the main point. So firstly, let us pray for our community and nation in this time, that as their hands are stilled, that their eyes and ears would be opened to what God is teaching them, because God is using this time. Now, I realize we don't have snow or rain keeping us inside, but God has allowed it, hasn't he? He has. He is using it to discipline and to bless. He is using it to draw people to himself. God wants people to know him. And let us pray that this may be a time when many people's hearts and minds will be opened, open to their weakness and need, but open to God's kindness richness and strength for them. Church, we are approaching a unique Easter, an Easter where we won't be able to gather together, but let us pray that it will indeed be a special Easter where people hear of Jesus going to the cross for them. So please be in prayer for our community and nation that as they stop, their ears and eyes will be opened to God the one who wants them to know him. Secondly, let us not waste this time. God can use the same tool for different purposes, and I'm sure that is true in this situation in our lives. While I pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, is convicting and calling many non-Christians, let us also be people who ask what God is doing in us what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, what he is teaching us. And I want to raise some suggestions. I want to offer some possibilities for you to consider. Over this time, is God highlighting an idol in our lives that does not belong? What is causing pain currently in our lives? Where are we turning to for joy Because either of those are often where we find our idols. Secondly, is God showing us a habit or practice in our marriage that is causing division? Husbands and wives, you're spending more time together. What's going on? Is there something that God is highlighting that does not belong? Or if we are parents, what is God teaching us as we care for our children? as we possibly feel trapped with them. What is God showing us? Showing us, yes, about them, but showing us about ourselves. Fourthly, what is God saying about our use of time, about our entertainment? Is it more escapism and avoidance than actual rest? And lastly, is God using this time maybe to identify a fear or anxiety in our lives which overshadows him, which is greater than him. Five quick suggestions, but 
but I'd strongly recommend that wherever the rub is in our lives, that is where we should be listening. Wherever the pain is, that is where we should be looking. That is where God is speaking to us and his Holy Spirit is working on us. Brothers and sisters, let us not fill this time with Netflix and news and miss the voice of God. Those things are not wrong. Netflix and news. They're not wrong unless they are drowning out God. Are we listening? Are we seeking what our maker is teaching us through this time? Let us be a people who do not waste what he is doing, who do not waste what he is saying. And lastly, let us learn from Elihu and Job and let God be God so we can rest in him. And this really is the main point and it is the hardest thing for us to do. Our struggle from the beginning of the Bible is that we have questioned God's goodness to us. That was the serpent's question in the garden. And there are many times in our lives we don't understand events. We know they are in God's hands. We know how he has allowed them, but we can't see why. And yes, we should try and work out what God is teaching us. But there are times we just don't know Times when we just don't know. And as we enter this time of fear and panic, this time of worry, this time of people looking to the future and being concerned about it, I pray this will be a time that we will recognize who our God is. A time where we will be willing to give up our control because we recognize he, he is in control. You know, Job never knew why he suffered. He never knew the heavenly reason that God allowed these events. But in the end, he learned to let God be God. And then to trust him. To rest in him. This change was, as he described it, going from hearing about God to seeing God. And for Job, seeing God, truly knowing him changed Job. It, it changed what he was asking for and what he was seeking. It humbled him. You and I, I hope, will never have Job's experiences, his loss and grief. But we will have loss and grief in our lives. You and I are unlikely to have God confront us in a whirlwind but truth be told, we don't need him to. We don't need him to because Jesus shows us God. In the cross, and yes, I'm connecting Job and the message of the cross here, we see supremely who God is. We see a God who is so much greater than us, but who indeed bends down to us. We see a God who is perfectly just and yet would fulfill justice for us on the cross. He would pay the price for our sins that we cannot pay. We see a God 
whose designs, whose plans are not our own, but they are good and they are to save us. This is our God. His ways are so far above us, and yet he is the God who has come down and served us. Because he is good. Amazingly good. And it is when we see God like this that we revere him for who he is, trusting in his proven character, even when we can't see and understand. We let him be God, and then we can rest. Really rest that come what may, come loss and pain, God has us, he holds us, and he is for us. Will we let God be God? Will we know him for who he is? Psalm 62 teaches us this saying, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Yes, brothers and sisters, trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is your refuge. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for the story of Job and thank you for his friend Elihu who are so instructive to us that as we face the unknown, as we face uncertainty and worries and fear crowd our lives and we have many questions, there is no question about you. We look to the cross and what you have done in your son for us, that you have loved us in a ama- with an amazing love, a love that we would never plan or never design, but you have done it for this is who you are. So far above us, but you have come down to redeem us for yourself and to bring us to yourself. Help us to rest in you now, to rest truly in you that at this time, as much as we don't know, we know you. I pray this in the name of your son, our saviour. Amen.